Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor at Conduit Church, joined by our Senior Pastor, Darren Tyler. And we have a lot to get into, (laughs) as I think we do almost every week. We probably say that a lot, Uh, but we're not making it up because if, unless you're living in a cave, there is a lot happening in the world, uh, globally, and even here locally. Um, We are in, I wouldn't say perilous times. But maybe depending on what part of the world you live in, you might say perilous times. I think that... Um, How do we define what's going uh, on in the world right now? I th- well, Jesus actually said there will be... Or Paul actually, there will be perilous times. I told Timothy that. Jesus said, there, you know, you'll know the signs of my return. The leaves are turning on the trees. And um, this feels like some of that right now. Like when you look around the world right now, there's just a lot of plates spinning right now. Non-stop, non-stop action, um, good and bad, and and maybe we'll talk a little bit about that. But all the things that are spinning out of control, the 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 church is helping mitigate some of that and helping meet the needs of those that uh, are suffering. And I think of our really good friends in Haiti right now who mm-hmm. have had a terrible past seven to ten days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when Jesus spoke of uh, the signs of his return, the signs of the kingdom, whatever. He actually said, you know, earthquakes, famines. Mm. Uh, he, he sort of gives his list. and then, But then he actually says, um, like the next, it's Matthew 25, he says in, uh, when, when he's talking about those on Judgment Day standing before uh, the Father, you know, those who, uh, did you feed me when I was hungry? Did you clothe me when I was naked? Did you visit me when I was in prison? And if you put the lens of what he had just described uh, on that, it actually shows that the golly, probably one of the primary jobs of a church uh, in times of eschatological escalation. Hey, write that down. That was good. Eschatological escalation um, is to be there, to be part of it, to be feeding, to be clothing, to be visiting, and you know, there's plenty to do. And yeah, so Haiti just uh, Saturday, right before you know, we had our Sunday gathering experienced 7.2 earthquake uh, out further out west on the peninsula. Uh, if you don't have a Haiti map in front of you, hold your hand up with your thumb out like your face up and uh, face forward uh, with it. And the thumb is the peninsula. And this would be out like where the knuckle of the, your thumb is on, on the peninsula of Haiti. And uh, the, the upside of that is that it's not as uh, highly populated as Port-au-Prince was, where a quarter of a million people died in 2010. Wow. Uh, but it is densely populated because it's Haiti. Whenever there's a town or whatever, they, they'll, they're they just densely packed in there. Yeah. And so as of this morning, the death toll as it, is at 2,200. I would guess that will at least double, if not triple, because, I mean, these poor folks are digging themselves out uh, by hand like the you know, here when something like that happens, we, we, the Red Cross, I mean, all these trucks are rolling through, heavy equipment, none of that is uh, there, at least not in, in big enough quantities. And so people are using, you know, hacksaws, hammers, uh, manually moving rubble, trying to find people alive. And, you know, we're, we're headed on six days here, so it's, wow. you know, the chances yeah. of people being found alive now are, 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 are way fewer than they were. So, uh, 
so yeah, our but our church is there. I mean, we yeah. So what do we do? We believe that the church is the hope of the world, right? I mean, Jesus didn't have a plan B, um, and I personally believe that you know. And by the way, organizations like Samaritan's Purse, uh, our good friend Marty Wheeler, like they're doing amazing things. But part of the reason that those organizations exist is because the church had been asleep at the wheel for the past few decades. Like that's what the church was uh, was called to do. So um, what we've been doing is the churches we've planted there, which is, this is part of, I don't know, I'm kind of, I'm really proud of this because like there are no Blancs from our team there right now. This is all Blancs. Haitians. No yeah. Blancs. No Blancs. Blanc. Where les pas de Blanc? Is, uh, anyway, um, <laughs> I, get, I get just enough Creole to get me in trouble. But uh, it's Haitians that are helping Haitians right now. It's good. So we are the financial arm of that. We've, uh, we've already been wiring money. Trucks been arriving. Uh, led by, you know, if you're listening, you've been to Haiti with me, Jean-Marie, Gabby, Fedoni, Steve, Jeremy. They're all, uh, they're all there. Uh, they left it again at 2 o'clock this morning for this drive. It takes wow. about five hours. From Jacmel? Yeah. But if you were to look at it on a map, it's, it looks like it should take about 45 minutes. Oh, man. Um, Just it, the general access. General roads. access. There's one road in, one road out. Uh, it's covered in mudslides. It's out in four locations, so they're like you know they're having to drive through this stuff, and, and of course there's no straight line on the coast. You got to go up through the mountain, back down yeah. again. Uh, but I, I mean, I'm literally getting videos like while I'm sitting here with us, like from Fedany right now wow. of, uh, of what's happening right now, which is straight trucks and uh, so our plan right now is we're bringing in food and water and medical relief. And beginning to build temporary shelters because uh, the last I saw, over 1,500, close to 2,000 homes and businesses are completely destroyed, uh, which means people are homeless. They're outside. Um, and so we're going to build temporary shelters. Uh, they're, they're literally, I've already saw they're like saws and stuff, building them right now on, like, on uh, cement bases. And then... And then from there, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what God has us to do there uh, with the church that we're working with in uh, Lakai, which is uh, the, the main city. It's, it's, it'd be like Nashville, uh, but part of the area we were in, it would be more like a, like an Antioch area. Like it's a suburb of, sure. of it. And Pastor LaFleur will be boots on the ground here oh, shortly? Yeah. yeah, he's on his way right now. That's uh, great. Yeah, he's, and, and man, to his credit, you know, he's got... Fedoni Charles, who is the pastor of this, and then there are f- uh, five church plants that are in the area, and all those pastors are gathering their people to, to work. So he's, uh, yeah, he'll be, by the time this thing is released, he'll, he'll be in uh, Jacques Mel tonight and then continue to drive, uh, wow. drive it from there. So, anyway, it's great. For those of you that have helped with that, I don't know how many of you are, the, who are listening to the podcast that are helping, but man, thank you. When you guys trust us to be the conduit of your generosity, like it's, this stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum. Uh, when I was younger, I thought, you know, when I get older, uh, I, I make a lot of money and I'll get rich and then I can, I can go into ministry and not worry about money. Uh, the, I had a little fatal flaw, which is I wasn't very good at making money. I was really good at losing money. <laughs> uh, but I realized that that, you know, that was, it was my plan. It was a great plan, but it wasn't God's plan. And so what I, what we are is what we say we are. We're a conduit. So when people are sending in these donations right now, conduitmission.org, like a hundred percent of it's just being transferred out. Like yeah. we're wiring money. We sent uh, wire, I think yesterday. Uh, we'll send another wire tomorrow. We just get it to them. They're able to source and purchase the things on the other side uh, in Jacmel from the Dominican. And then we'll just continue to shuffle that stuff in there as long as it's needed. Yeah. And true to Haiti fashion, you know, it never gets front page news. And when something 
uh, and something tragic happens in Haiti, it always seems like something else in the world trumps it, <laughs> and it takes a back seat regardless. Uh, it, you know, was that a Freudian slip when you said Trump? Well, no, it, it may have been. He did take some of the headlines at one point, but <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. Well, you know, then our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, they've had quite a week yeah. as well. And so, you know, anything Haiti-related um, kind of got pushed to the back burner. It's funny you say that. I literally just got a message, and I don't know if I can say their names. Um, she used to, So it's a husband and wife. She used to live in Afghanistan back in 2001. Right. Was held hostage by the Taliban. Wow. Uh, in 2001. So she got, had a little bit of a front row. I would say. To this, but uh, here's what they said. Our friends, a team working there, this is speaking uh, about in Afghanistan, barely escaped uh, to the Kabul airport before security was breached. Uh, so, so they made it. But he said, still, this is a good time to pray for the Afghan body of Christ. And this is what he said. Some have been saying that the largest global church growth in the last few years has occurred in Afghanistan. People don't know that. Please stand with us for those believers and for anyone who worked for a foreigner or foreign aid organization who were left behind, Afghanis who were left behind. The Taliban will certainly go after them. It's a sober time, and we know that boldness in the face of persecution advances the church. Mm. So pray for the Afghani believers. They will stand bold in what looks like a scary persecution. Uh, and So anyway, that, that's directly from someone who has lived there and has people and friendships that are already there. Uh, to know that, you know, that the church is there, you know, that uh, we can blame whatever we want to blame as far as leadership. I, we all have opinions about that. I certainly have opinions about that. Um, the, the idea that the, the withdrawal had to happen this way is uh, utter madness yeah. to me. But but here we are. And if God is sovereign and God is on the throne, then uh, whatever's happening there right now, we just trust that he's... Uh, that he's there, he's not forgotten them, and that the, the, the Christians that are there and their boldness and their stories, uh, that the church will grow even more. Because the one thing the Taliban is facing now in Afghanistan that they did not have 20 years ago is the, the Church of Jesus, like on fire Church of Jesus. They, they largely were in a, a Muslim, uh, surrounded by you know communists on the north. Anyway, so that's different than what it was 20 years ago. And as you watch all this play out, um it begs the question again, which is what we're talking about in Romans, is mankind inherently good? <laughs> I mean, you can kind of look globally right now and see kind of what's happening and yeah. draw some pretty quick conclusions. You know, I've seen it. Maybe you've seen some of these posts this week, and it's some version of um, this is all so overwhelming um, versions of uh, we as humans. This is one I'm trying to remember exactly how she wrote it, but are not created or designed to be able to hold all of this, to see all of yeah. this suffering, um, that it just feels so overwhelming. Um, and and here's the thing. I actually don't disagree with those posts that were not, but what we had between, the difference between 20 years ago, even in Afghanistan and today, the difference between, you know, look, look, the first time I landed in Haiti, I mean, I didn't know that there were rampant kidnappings. I, I knew that the the president had been overthrown, but there wasn't like social media. I didn't know. Sure. You know, that it was probably the dumbest thing I'd ever done. No, actually, second. The first was starting a church. Second dumbest thing I'd ever done. Um, but social media allows us to see that, and so it begins to overwhelm us. Um, and by the way, the Bible warns about that. Jesus actually talked about that. Because of this, because of uh, this lawlessness that will increase, the love of many will grow cold. And... 
the danger for us is to see all this lawlessness and for our love to grow cold, meaning that we we get paralyzed. Um, analysis paralysis. There's yeah. so much. I don't know what to do. And so I don't do anything. Uh, that's not what the Holy Spirit wants for us at all. He doesn't want us to be overwhelmed by it. He wants us to know that, that, that this is just the reality of the fallen world. This is the reality of Romans 1 down the, the, the line. Because you can say that, yeah, in Haiti, that was a natural disaster. And that is true. What is also true is that the corruption yeah. of governments, of not just the Haitian government, of even our government, of multiple governments, have left behind a country with an infrastructure that is a shambles. Uh, non-existent. Non-existent. So, so, so it's, there's two disasters that happened there. Yeah. One was the natural disaster, but the other is the disaster of Romans 1, oh. of humans of full of greed and malice. I mean, you read down in Romans 1, it talks about, you know, we, uh, we, we really like to focus on, because you know, we, can, we can make it a they versus us thing, focus on the idea of sexual immorality or whatever, but greed, malice, uh, futile thinking, like it's all in there. And that's what we're seeing right now in Haiti. And that's, it, it, it feels nihilistic to say it that way. And it would be nihilistic, like these social media posts um, are true, and and if you follow them to the logical conclusion, it's really hopeless. But the beauty of Romans is it tells the whole story. It doesn't just start with the fall yeah. uh, of man. It actually goes through and says, yeah, this is it. This is literally Romans 1 and 2, especially is the black backdrop there, the old, uh, I think it's J. Vernon McGee, the old theologian that says that Romans 1 and 2, like when you go to, uh, you know, to look at a diamond at a store, they will put it on a piece of black uh, cloth, velvet, because the diamond shines brighter against the darkness. And Romans 1 and 2, you know, it's like the, it's, it's, it's like a Jason Bourne movie or something. Like, you, like I can't take any more of this guy getting beat up. Like, right. how much more it's, can I watch before he actually makes the turnaround? You does know, into, something about it. Yeah, yeah. Like, finally, <laughs> you know, the, the origin story. Um, and maybe there's a reason why those origin stories uh, resonate with us, because they're actually written into our hearts. Like, they're written into humankind, and it's certainly written into Romans 1. Well, you had a quote from John Bevere that talks a little bit about this from Sunday that said, it's the law of God that keeps us from legalism and the fear of God that keeps us from lawlessness. Yeah. Um, and if, for those that were there, probably, I mean, I told the story of it because he actually asked Jim Baker, the televangelist from the uh, 80s, who had a fairly spectacular uh, fall from grace. Yeah. Um, and he visited him in prison and he asked him, you know, Jim, when did you fall out of love with Jesus? And Jim's response was, oh, John, I never fell out of love with Jesus. I just stopped fearing God. And that's when it all went wrong yeah. for us. And so, and then from that, that's where John uh, Bevere extrapolates that idea that um, the, the fear of God is something that is, is not incongruent with the, the love of God. Like the wrath of God and the love of God are not competing or conflicting goals. They're yeah. literally part of the same thing. And so, yeah, the fear of God um, is something that uh, we don't talk a lot about it. Um, but the fact is, is that the fear of God is, is, is literally right here into Romans 1, which is if I decide to do this on my own without God, if I decide to try to... Uh, it's like Romans 1 and 2 are, 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 are this great juxtaposition because Romans 1 is I'm going to do however I want to do it. I'm going to live however I want to live. This is how I was born. I'm just I can't help it. I'm just going to live this way. 
which is, by the way, putting the control back into my hands. Now I control it. But Romans 2 starts talking about religious people, and we're going to be talking about that in a couple yeah. of weeks, moralism. If I do this right and I work hard enough, then, I, then God will give me favor, and then I will get to heaven. And that is still putting the control into my hands, which is then God owes me. But uh, the rest of Romans, starting in Romans 3, which is the grace of God, shows that he didn't owe me anything. I owe him everything because uh, I'm not saved by my own works, which is I'm going to moralize myself into heaven. And, and I'm not going to save myself by being however I want to be because the, the natural you know, descent of humanity. But the grace of God is the when I look at that and realize it's by grace I'm saved, like literally by no effort. Uh, I repent and believe, then I'm saved. Then like I owe him everything and he doesn't owe me anything. Everything he gives me is, is a gift and it's grace. And then I owe him my life because what else could I possibly do? And to that, like if, if grace is just um, the beginning, the starting point of my salvation, then, you know, I don't even have to fear God at that point because at least I don't, I choose not to because I feel like, you know, what do I have to be afraid of? I, you know, I'm right. saved by grace. But the fear of God is, is, a, is a good thing to keep in mind because, you know, look, you and I are both fathers. Somebody hurts our kids. You know, wrath is the actual proper response to that. Yeah. And it actually says here in, I think, verse 18, right, that the wrath of God is being revealed against those. And so that's where Bavir starts talking about the fear of God is that the wrath of God is being revealed against those who suppress the truth through their wickedness. And... By the way, me living however I want to live, that is suppressing the truth. Yes. Yeah, that's what I was going to, going to say. I mean, yeah. that's you have to do some mental gymnastics to get to there for someone to just live however they want, ignoring the truths. Yeah. You know, things that um, are irrefutable, which turn into futile thinking because uh, there's, I mean, you have to play it out to its end result and I would say humanity is not good at thinking past the end of their nose to see how things yeah. will play out with decisions that they're making, yeah. the lives that they're living. Yeah, when you look at it even, the way that this is worded out, what I love about the Bible is like, so Paul would not have had the language of AA, right? But you, when you see something like that, when you see like addiction, um, specifically in addiction, and we're all addicted in literally something, we're addicted to power, we're addicted to mm-hmm. sex, to food, or you know, we call it addiction. The Bible just calls it idols. Yeah, that's good. That's um, true. And so, and, and, and the reason it's an idol is because I've put my um, my value for my need, for my need to be, be in control, my need to never be hurt that way again, whatever it is. There's a control thing I'm digging for. And so, which is where futile thinking comes in. I'm yes. trying to do and anything. but So suppressing the truth is that that's supposed to be the truth of God. And God is the only thing that can bear the weight. Uh, when it talks about glorifying God, um, uh, glorifying God, like putting it, it literally just means I'm giving him the weight. The kavod is the, the Hebrew word for that, but I'm just giving him the weight of the purpose and meaning of my life. And, and it's the only thing that can withstand that. But if I put it instead in my career, if I put it instead in uh, my relationships and whatever, then that's where the futile thinking comes from. Um, yeah, the definition of futile, futile. Incapable of producing any useful result. <laughs> Pointless. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's it. I mean, that's, 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 that's why it's in the Bible. That's why it's in the Bible. It. But it's like, that's it. Those, and the feudal thinking. And the longer you, 
um, I think you go to, is it somewhere in verse 23, 24? Because it actually kind of gives the big thing is they weren't thankful for him. They didn't give him glory and they didn't thank him. thanks, yes. Right. Which um, it sounds like, well, that's, that's not a big deal. So basically the big sin is that we're not, we have bad manners. Like it's right, <laughs> bad right. etiquette. Uh, but what it is, by, by not giving him thanks, by not giving him glory, what it means is that I'm not recognizing that he is the creator. It's why people get so upset about plagiarism uh, because it's taking credit for something that you didn't do. Uh, quoting a source or quoting whatever, and I've heard Tim Keller specifically talk about this very thing, that when you don't give somebody credit for that, that's you taking credit for it and you're not being thankful for it. So suppressing the truth is literally that. I am taking credit for it. Uh, I'm saying this is right and this is wrong. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was simply, yeah. I'm going to decide what's right and wrong. And it leads to, and this is something I've thought about over the years, guys. I mean, whenever I've seen somebody that has gone down the road of progressive theology, and this is almost without exception, um, it is always followed by some sort of dramatic uh whether it's a divorce due to inf uh, infidelity, mm -hmm. sexual adventurism. It's like, and, and, I, and here's the thing, I've, I've always wondered, does it start with the sexual impurity, the immorality, which again, it follows here. So Romans 1, 18, 20, 19, 20, starts talking about the feudal thinking, and then it goes into the impurity, and it specifically speaks about sexual impurity in verse 24. You know, so your feudal thinking, I'm not thankful, I'm going to be in control of this. And therefore God gave them over right to the sinful desires of their heart and uh, is degrading their bodies one to another. And I've wondered, does it start with that? And then you start to justify your behavior with feudal thinking, right? Or does it start with feudal thinking and then end up with the impurity? And I, I, this, as I was studying out the last two weeks of this and then like reverse engineering it to the people that I know, uh, that have gone through this. So this is anecdotal. It does start with the feudal thinking. Wow. It starts with, I'm in control. I am uh, desiring to be the one that's going to make the decisions of what is right and wrong. Uh, I've come to some part of the Bible that I'm uncomfortable with. And so I'm going to, I don't want to do that one. And so it starts there and then goes to the sinful desires. And by the way, desire is the word epithumia, uh, an old South African preacher, I first heard talk about that, that it doesn't mean a, a sinful desire the way it's translated here. Uh, every time, though, that word desire is used, it, sometimes it's translated as lust, sometimes it's translated as sinful desire, sometimes, but it, we just don't have a word for it. But thumia is a desire, and epi is an uh, like inordinate desire for it. Um, so putting that inordinate desire on food, on relationships, on, on, in my case, knowledge or information on your career, any one of those becomes an epithumia and you burn out or burn down right. with it. But, but it is almost always connected to uh, specifically a sexual impurity, uh, which then leads to the third thing, the depraved mind. And, it, and when I think depraved mind, like the, those verse, uh, it's verse 28, uh, just as they did not think it were, uh, worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. Uh, it, depraved mind isn't Hannibal Lecter. Um, 
you know, ate her kidney with a Chianti bean and or a Chianti and some kidney beans. I don't know, right. whatever, whatever psycho statement that was. I mean, clearly that is depraved. But that word depraved there actually is this is the language once again that if you worked in addiction, uh, if you work in any sort of therapy or counseling, people that have been using uh, illicit behaviors to satisfy a desire, the epithumia, it literally rewires your brain. Like the pathways wow, right. of, of where I was supposed to be getting this pleasure or this need met through. I've literally, it's like the, the language that I've seen uh, is neuroplasticity is that it, it's like when you, you, you've seen the path where the water goes down a hill um, like, well, like right out here, we've are, we have engineered our land so that the water goes to where it's supposed to go, right? Carves out a path. Yeah, this carves out a different path. Then it's like I'm over here digging a new path for it. Um, mm. and, and by the way, pornography is one of the number one things. There's this is literally scientifically proven. Right. Uh, it literally rewires your brain. Yes. And and so the depraved mind, if eventually, the depraved mind is what takes over. So when you see somebody. Uh, saying things that are just absolutely crazy or making decisions that are nuts. And you think, why are you doing that? And, and, and you see it often in, uh, we work a lot with addiction. Um, the, the guy that is, you know, he's, he's hit the bottom. He has stolen everything from his grandma. You know, parents can't have him over anymore because he keeps lying to them and stealing from them. And, uh, in the depraved mind, the, the the language of addiction, it actually says they're full of strife, deceit, malice, uh, insolent, arrogant, boastful, invent ways of doing uh, evil, disobey their parents. Like anyone who's had addiction ravage their family looks at all of that and go, I have experienced all of that. Yeah, And that is true whether it is a sexual addiction, whether it is a food addiction, alcohol. And, and I think that the truth of Romans 1 is we all have an addiction to something. If we, again, we're, used to, we're using the language of addiction. This language is of idolatry. The language of I'm using this to fulfill this desire because I've chosen to suppress the truth that the only one, the only thing that can withstand my need uh, is God. And when I take that off of him, that becomes the idol. Yes, and uh, normally they replace that with... Um, ourselves right so we've put ourselves on the throne we've mm-hmm. made ourselves the king it, honestly this kind of this is a little bit of a rabbit trail but it kind of reminds me of uh, kind of what i would call a pharaoh complex where i mean yeah. think of moses and pharaoh i mean pharaoh just dug in deep and yeah yeah he was the god to be revered and nothing was going to sway him or change his mind absolutely futile thinking yeah um, that became depraved. He he couldn't was not willing to relent. Yeah, I even think of King Solomon, who had everything. He was a king, and at the end of his days, he says, "What well, in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter one? All is vain. It is just all vain." And then, in fact, at the last uh, in chapter twelve, King Solomon says in uh, chapter twelve, verse thirteen, says, "The end of the matter. <laughs> yeah. All has been heard." And then he says. Fear God and keep his commandments. Yeah. That was his takeaway. Yeah. After having everything. And that's a guy that knows. Like if I were to stand up on Sunday and ask how many people believe in God in our room, our church, 100% are going to raise their hands. Sure. 
But if I say, do you believe in the God of Sinai who comes down with darkness and with lightning and with thunder, right? Do you believe in the God who said that there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood? Do you believe in the God that says you cannot stand in my presence and live? Because you can say, do you believe in God? And everybody says, yes, but do you believe in the God of the Bible? Yeah. Is a whole different question. Yeah. And that God, um, you know, it is, uh, we, if, if we ignore the wrath of God, we do to our own peril. Um, it, it, the wrath is being revealed. And this is, we're going to actually talk a little bit on Sunday about this, but the active wrath and the passive wrath of God. Um, active wrath is, is that. The passive wrath is he turned you over. He turned Solomon over to his own desires. And Solomon, by the end of his life, you know, came to the, figured it out. It's why, by the way, the first step in uh, in AA is admitting that I I am powerless over my addiction, yeah, and that I am giving myself to a quote unquote higher power. Uh, AA was written by Christians uh, by a Christian man. It was a Christian idea because that's giving that to God. He's the only one that can bear the weight of it, um, and for us, you know, in, in Christ, that wrath is taken by Christ, the, the cup of wrath that he drank. I talked about that on Sunday when he says, is there any way that this cup could pass from me? Um, and, if, and isn't it amazing? Because even Jesus saying the same thing that most progressive theologians would say, is there any other way? Right. <laughs> and, right. And there was no other way. Jesus, you know, certainly if there had been another way, Jesus would have taken it. Um, but he took that. And so he took it. So when he hands us the cup, like it, when... Uh, when James and John said, hey, we want to we want to be on the right hand side when you come in your kingdom right and left. And he says, can you drink from the cup that I'm about to drink from? Wow. Yeah. Like that's what he meant, which is the wrath of God being poured out on him as Christ so that it doesn't have to be on us. And so the judgment, the active wrath of God for us being revealed is revealed on Christ on the cross for us. But the passive wrath of God those consequences are still there. If I decide to, that I'm going to still try to be in control of this, that I'm going to be in, in this specific area of my life, like for me, I want control. Uh, I, you know, for me, it's, it's knowledge. I want to keep digging, keep digging. When I put that on there, it does lead to futile thinking. Like it, and it, that'll be my journey as well. This would be my journey in my life. And I would still, I believe I'm forgiven, I'm safely in his hands, but man, my life on earth is going to be hell on earth if I choose to go down this path with it. And for those that, I don't know how many you guys follow on social media that are in the progressive world or uh, sort of the, like the new agey tree huggy thing that, that I, you know, the, 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 the California, they used to, the land of fruits and nuts and granola, all that stuff. It's kind of taken on a whole new vibe <laughs> online um, with uh, these folks that, that call themselves uh, uh, sexual guides and teaching you through yeah. the. And so they, they, you know, they'll, they'll talk about the, they're coaching you through this stuff. Yeah. And then occasionally they'll have a, you know, of course, which is great. They're being honest. Man, my, it was just terrible today. My heart was this. And my, you know, so my point being is that they're, they're selling me this thing if I would just hire them to be my coach for freedom. Right. But in their most honest moments, like it's not working for them either, right? Um, because they're literally their futile thinking is taking them to this depraved minds, and it's it's out there. Like there are, 
sexual quote unquote sexual coaches um, whose whose jobs and I, I don't know if anybody's paying him for this quite honestly I mean some I don't know maybe someone is I don't know probably um, is to basically this is how you're wired so just let your go let self go be and be free and uh, a dear friend of mine his wife was on that journey and part of her desire was to be with another woman uh, and the coach said, go for it. And the husband said, well, I guess if that's what you want. And, and, and of course it exploded. Like, of course it blew up in their hands, but they're so far past feudal thinking. Right. Right. Into in, in, but they're headed towards the depraved mind parts of mm. where eventually they're, um, they're not thinking right anymore. Like yeah. at 12 years old, I knew that that didn't work. Right. Right. I'm 50 years old now. I know that that doesn't work. The difference between, maybe 20 years ago and today is that when you sat down with someone who's blown up their life, they weren't really surprised by it. Like they couldn't even explain why I did it. I don't know why I did it. I, did, I was so stupid. I shouldn't have done it. And now it's like, I'm surprised that it ended up this way. Like I thought this was the right way. I, like there's not a lot of yeah. regret in what they did. There's only regret in that it blew up their lives. The line has moved. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You had this other quote from Alexander. Solzhenitsyn. If you could pronounce the last name. Solzhenitsyn. <laughs> Solzhenitsyn. It talked about a little bit about this, but it moved into um, reminding us that you know, good and evil cannot be just placed in groups of people, which is what our society is doing. Yeah, that, and by the way, that was written like in the 50, 40s or 50s. Which blows me away. Like so many right. things that were written that are truthful, that are, that seemed to, that seemed to, that seemed to be progressive, even, you know, 60 years ago, <laughs> um, have come full circle and they're playing out exactly as described. Right, right. And he says, the line separating good and evil passes through not states, nor between classes, nor between political parties but right through every human heart. Yeah. Yeah, that is so profound. And he was speaking of it in terms of, uh, and I, I don't think critical theory had been born yet, but it wasn't far off from now. Sure. Um, well, from when he wrote this? Yeah. Yeah. Because it was, the idea was being born, which is that there are good people and there are bad people. And they would use the language, there are oppressors and there are oppressed. And those are basically the two categories of people. Which is the crux for CRT. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, the founder of CRT, like, she, did, she made no, like, she didn't hide it. Like, this is, um, we're using critical theory and we're applying it to race now. And so what's complicated is that I think, I think, part of the debate right now in the church of CRT versus whatever is that when someone says CRT, uh, and if they just mean there's a problem of racism in our country, then that's right. There's a problem of racism in our country. But if they're using CRT to solve it, that's where yeah. the problem comes. To solve it or explain it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because to solve it. So critical theory was simply this. These, they're the oppressors and they're the oppressed. And what we, the, the idea is we will be, it's so simple, overly critical. Uh, nothing good said about this stuff through media, through education, through... And that's how we overthrow uh, the oppressor. It's Karl Marx. That's literally where it was born out of. And so what they're saying is, in, 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 as far as critical race theory, now again, just like Black Lives Matters is a true statement, 
that's been now named to a organization that is not a good organization. Um, and if you think about that, I mean, if you're Satan, how brilliant is that strategy? Yeah. To get us fighting over semantics. Semantics. You know, oh, that's one of his, I mean, that's where it started in the garden. Did God really say? Yeah. And so by separating us into classes and into people, uh, people groups, it means that one is good and one is bad. And if I overthrow the bad, then the good take over. And what Solzhenitsyn was saying is that that is not true because the line of good and evil does not go through groups of people. It goes through every human heart. If you are oppressed or you are oppressor, you still have a line in your heart. And that is Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, yeah. 5, 6, and all of us that goes through each of us. And man, I've seen it firsthand. If you get into a refugee camp, they, these are oppressed people. They've been beaten and you know, stolen from. And, and it takes hardly any time at all for the groups and the tribe to form. And uh, and so now it's this tribe and this tribe and this tribe, and they're all in the camps. And in, uh, especially in the Middle East, refugee camps exist like the Christians are immediately marginalized. And even they can't even get access to food because of Muslims that are controlling the food supply with it. And so, that, again, these are oppressed people that are hurt and broken and still have evil in their own hearts that they immediately assemble into, which is why Jesus did not come, right, to divide us into groups uh, came to the exact opposite of that, right? To say every tribe, nation, tongue, and language will be there, but only that, that only happens not by overthrowing specific people groups. It only happens by God renewing each and every one of our hearts. It's not a race uh, issue. It's a sin issue. Yes. The sin that is, that has caused the race issues in our country is real and it is sinful. Uh, but overthrowing oppressors by burning down buildings and destroying property is just literally using fire to fight fire and you end up with nothing but everything burned down. It's When you look at Martin Luther King Jr. and the work that he did, he did not subscribe to this type of uh, behavior, he, to, to this type of a solution for it. Because at the end, uh, that line from every nation, this is literally when you look at a guy like Solzhenitsyn, the reason he was able to say, wow, how did he know? How was he? Was he a prophet was he writing and he's not he's a historian george orwell wasn't a prophet he's a historian yes this is humans this is human behavior and romans spells it out perfectly for us and succinctly for us um that's why we started out saying that it is universal it is timeless and it is personal um this isn't just some book uh that existed for a time that's not relevant anymore this is god's brilliance through the holy spirit given to us for today i remember being probably 10 or 11 years old and something my dad would tell me all the time because uh, he loved to watch documentaries and I remember <laughs> sitting there trying to watch whatever war documentary he was watching at the time trying to make sense of it you know <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a five <laughs> yeah he would say he would say son history repeats itself remember that yeah history repeats itself it's important that you understand this and I mean obviously decades later um it's so true. I mean, that is the one thing that just continues to be true um, is seeing history repeat itself, see humanity not pick up on the cues of how this works um, and live away from the Lord and abandon the fear of the Lord um, and our creator and see how it looks when we try to do it on our own. I I'm glad that you, you pulled out um, this one verse in Ezekiel. Because I love this verse because it helps give us some context to Satan 
himself and kind of where this started. It's Ezekiel 28. It's a really kind of obscure passage. Um, Ezekiel 28, 17 says, Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, which is so interesting. Mm -hmm. And you corrupted your wisdom. Corrupted your wisdom. So, you know, feudal thinking thinking. began. Mm -hmm. Because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Who's he referring to there? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's wild language, right? Uh, Jesus said, you know, I beheld him fallen as of lightning from heaven. Like Jesus was saying, I was there when Lucifer was thrown from heaven. Wow. What, um, a, what a, an exchange that would have been. Right? A fascinating, right, experience <laughs> to see that happen. But, but it's Lucifer, and that's the... It's it's literally it's scientific, you know. When you like when you start talking about physics and, and, and astrophysics and all that, like you know, there, there's there's certainly laws of the universe that are true. Gravity is a true law, no matter what. And this is a true law of the universe that when you you know start taking credit and suppressing truth, that your wisdom is going to be corrupted. And you're thrown to the earth. And so this didn't start in Romans 1. It didn't start in the garden. Right. Before started, the garden. It started in heaven. <laughs> when, uh, and, and, and a third of the angels yeah, wow. went with him. third of them. And, you know, in our modern, you know, Dante uh, life, we, we, we think of them as, you know, scowling and hunched over and pitchforks and, you know, tails and... But there's no indication of that in Scripture at all. The, you know, these, the, in fact, the beauty of G, uh, of Satan. I think it's actually in Ezekiel. Maybe it's Isaiah. Well, well, they'll look on him and say, "This is the one that deceived the nations." And you know, wow. it, it, and it could mean that okay, he was so puny and so small. But I think it's it, it, when you read it in the context. No, it's because he was beautiful. Like he's, how is it possible that he could have been the one? to do that yeah. he looks amazing how's he the one yeah because we have these pictures of what satan looks like yeah 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 puppets from uh, children's church right devil whispering yeah, and yeah. ugly and scary and... yeah but the beauty and the, the splendor and we would look at that and think how could it be him that did that because he he's so awesome um and that is still today the storyline of good versus evil is like i can't believe that guy did that he was awesome yeah and he had evil going right through the middle of his heart mm. with it and and not to leave this thing in the nihilistic, and I know we got to wrap up, but not to, to leave this in the nihilistic form because he was thrown to earth. Uh, he, he, was, he was taking credit. This is plagiarism 101, taking credit for God's, God created him. Uh, he, he, had, he could take no credit for how he looked and how he was, but he was taking credit for it. Um, but the, this book ends uh, in Revelation, the 66 books of the Bible ends with... Uh, with Satan being thrown into a lake of fire. And by the way, Jesus doesn't get off the throne. He just sends an angel and does it. And the gospel to me uh, of this is if, if to go back to these, these uh, overwhelming Facebook posts, it, it is overwhelming if this is where it ends. If, if this is all there is, then that, that is overwhelming. And it is a very yeah, depressing. That's terrible. Right? But that's not where it ends. The gospel, right? Revelation shows that the, the the earth is going to be recreated, that everything, you know, I think it's a Tolkien line that everything sad will become untrue. I love that. That's like the third time I've come across that this week. Oh, yeah? Yes. Power, yeah. Again, a prophet, right, written in the 40s, yes. 50s. Um, 
and but not just that, but like somehow we'll actually be better for it. Like somehow our lives on eternity will actually have been will be better for them because of that. Which is Romans eight twenty eight. All things are working together for the good of those who love Him, called according to His purpose. Um, it is not speaking of that. Every time I get a bad thing, I get a good thing. You know, oh, I wrecked my car, but now I got a better car. You know, I, I lost my job, but I got a better job. Like. That's not what it means. He actually tells us what it means in verse 27, which is that being, or 29, being created into the image of Christ is what's happening. That's the good that comes from the bad. And so when we look at the earthquake in Haiti, when we look at the the pandemic things, all the, the craziness that's happening right now in our government restrictions, like all that will be undone, all of it. And Jesus will be on the throne. Everything sad will become untrue. And we will have an eternity to uh, have with brand new hearts. We'll have an eternity uh, like the angels. Like it's a, this is a pretty good future for us. It's not a bad future. The bad future is if you're an atheist, you just you better be intellectually honest and say this really does suck because that's all there is. Uh, so you might as well go live and party and you know live your life because this is all you got. But that's not it. So, which is why, by the way, it's why we would give away our money. I mean, who who does that? Christians do that because right. this isn't all there is. We're going to help people in Haiti to alleviate some of their suffering because this is not all there is. We talk about history, and I think it's important for Christians to remember our place in history and where we are right now, and how we don't have to live as a victim, but we should be living as victors because we are. There's a victory happening, and there's a victory to come. And it's not nihilistic. Um, we are hopeful. We are full of hope. Yeah. And I guess, you know what, that's probably a good place to hang it up. It's a little shorter this week, but we got a lot of Romans yet to cover. Yeah. I mean, we're going deeper. This is a deeper podcast. Um, so we're going to end up spending probably three weeks in Romans chapter one <laughs> because there's so much to get through. It's, yeah. it's laying the backdrop of, uh, of some pretty deep theological truths over the next several chapters. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all scripture, right? God breathed. All of it is God inspired, but not all of it is as dense as this is. Like this is a yeah. dense, uh, dense jungle uh, that we're that we're trudging through here. And I, I think that part of what we're going to talk about even this coming Sunday um, is Christian moralism, right? Is just as dangerous as paganism is because both of us put us in control. And neither one of those are the gospel. And uh, the, the path is narrow, Jesus says, but that, the path has a ditch on either side. And conservatives can fall into their ditch and the progressives fall into their ditch. And Jesus is neither of those. Uh, Jesus is other. Jesus is, we are, uh, we owe everything to him. He is a king. He didn't, we didn't elect him. He is a king. Yes. And he's a good one. And the way we know that he's a good one is that he has holes in his hands because he was crucified for us. He is good. And so even when we don't understand, uh, we'll get to that in Romans, right? When you don't even know there's a spirit praying for you. I mean, Roman, Romans is just so robust in yeah. general. Um, and we are going to, like, we don't want to spend forever in Romans, but we could. I mean, it's sure. just so good. I mean, you know, theologians spend lifetimes writing commentaries on this. And well, it's applicable. Our world right now is, is just it's a challenge. And so we have a bit of a roadmap to help us navigate these waters um, as Christians and as believers in the world that are living in the world that are having to 
help not only deal with these things, but how can we help? How can we serve? Um, how can we be a light in the middle of chaos? How can we bring clarity to the middle of chaos? And I think that's um, part of why we even maybe landed on Romans, is to help give us some clarity in a, in a really troubled world. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing, because like right now... The, the proclivity would be towards nihilism for any anybody that's watching anything, or or whether it's nihilism or just put your head in the sand and just ignore the whole thing. Neither one are good options. Suppressing the truth. Suppressing the truth, right? Neither one of those are good options. And Romans gives us the the playbook for how to navigate waters. I mean, obviously, this was written at a time into a culture that was suppressing the truth. This was written at a time with totalitarian governments. It was written to a people who had been persecuted and marginalized. And to them, he says, you are more than conquerors. Yeah. To them, he says, right, who can who separate you from the love of Christ? Nothing can. Famines, persecutions, none of that. Everything that's happening right now in our world is not separating any of those who are in Christ from the love of Christ. Thank you for joining us for our deeper podcast. We will be uh, doing this again next week. And if you need to get caught up, um, obviously subscribe to our podcast so you can see all of the uh, episodes we've had prior. You can obviously watch the services online and through a YouTube channel, just search Conduit Church. And of course, on our website. And if somebody wanted to help um, with everything that's happening in Haiti, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, 100%. Thanks for reminding me of that. Just conduitmission.org, hit disaster relief. Um, And 100% of that is going to help uh, and believe me, there's need. If the, <laughs> there's just need, if it's twenty five dollars, there's need. Uh, and if you want to do quick math in your head, on average, it's about twenty five cents per meal that it costs in a disaster zone. So if you don't need to twenty five dollars, you just that's a hundred meals that someone is going to get. So this is uh, real live need and real live potential for help for the largest to the smallest of donors. Very good. We'll give an update on that again next week. Have a good week. Thanks for joining us.